Welcome to At The Whiteboard, the podcast for people who want to crush it at work. And we're live. Hello. Hi, Nicole. Hi. We're back in your place. I know. And I've got a little, a little doodaloo just... A little doodaloo. So I would like to introduce to our listeners Lillian North, Baby North. Are you going to try and get her to say something? Oh, can you hear that? We sort of can. We'll see if it comes in on the thing. Anyway, yes, Nicole is on mat leave, so really she's not here. So she's a guest. I have two guests today for the podcast, and Nicole is one of them. And little baby uh, Lillian North is adorable, and she is here as well. So thank you for agreeing to do this even though you're on mat leave. And we do have a guest, which I'll introduce uh, shortly. First, I want to welcome you all to At the Whiteboard. What? You I changed know. the name of the podcast I while I was gone? I was waiting for you to leave. I've only been gone three months. It. I know. It's crazy. Yes. Uh, we have morphed. Our work has morphed. And we're focusing more on topics for both individuals and managers and organizations who are trying to make their work life better, either the product or their engagement with work better. And they're trying to crush it at work. So the types of things that we're doing are focused on that. So we've changed the name of the podcast to align with our blog and our medium.com publication called At the Whiteboard. So that's why. Look at you. I know. All over it. So um, with that being said, my name's Ruth Henderson. And I'm Nicole North. Yes. And you are At the Whiteboard. So this series is series number four. And we're going to be talking about process improvement for insert air quotes, not so dummies. So process improvement for dummies, but not really dummies. And this series, we're going to talk a lot about what process improvement is, why it's important, what are the different types of process improvement, does it have to be a big deal, is there, are there cheats, are there shortcuts for process improvement, and how you can um, make it work in your organization and, quite frankly, your own life when you, when you really get down to it. So this first episode is really um, just about process improvement in general, and I would like to welcome our guest, Susan Slay, who is the Director of Engineering and Quality at IMAX Corporation. How's that for a first guest? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> That's Susan, and I'm pretty excited because uh, we know you pretty well. We worked with you a lot when we did some work with IMAX a few years ago. And uh, really enjoyed working with you and your perspective on quality and on process. Well, thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. And so it was great to, to work you. with you guys, too. Yeah, so we haven't seen Susan in a while, and it's nice to have her uh, here today. And um, maybe I'll ask you to start off just by telling us a little bit about your background, specifically with process improvement and quality. Mm-hmm. So my background, I'm an engineer, and I have been working in engineering, project management, quality management, and process improvement for about 20 years. Yeah, okay. Um, The last five years, I've been focused on uh, quality management and process improvement teams, and I've been working with IMAX uh, step-by-step, process-by-process to dissect, improve, and make them better. Yeah, so IMAX, process improvement, really. Because I always think of IMAX as this big, you know, global company producing amazing movies where we can go and watch, you know, Thor close up Mm -hmm. on an IMAX screen, which I did. He's nice to look at. (laughs) And um, what could you possibly do better? Like what, like why? Everything behind the scenes, right? So we develop products at IMAX. We develop projectors that 
put those movies on the screen, projectors and audio systems. And there's so many projectors that have an IE bypass. Oh, not anymore. (laughs) Not anymore. No IE bypass. Wait, is that, is that, uh, what's it called? Uh, proprietary information. (laughs) I just revealed all the secrets of IMAX in one quick podcast. Well, (laughs) good thing we only have about 80 people listen to it. That's, we've got a lot more than that quite. Thank you. Um, I, when Nicole and I try and get to know different organizations, we start to try and learn some of the lingo and sometimes we use it more successfully than others. So when we learned about this one little thing called an IE bypass, we started working it into everything, even though it was dead wrong. So... (laughs) So no more IE bypass. No more IE bypass. Oh, that's good to know. No, just behind the scenes, you know, all of the work that goes into developing our products, to shipping our products out the door, to managing the quality of our products with our suppliers, um, putting all of our documentation together. There's a lot of people that do a lot of, of work to deliver all of those things. And every one of those pieces of work has a process in it. And that process involves a lot of people, a lot of back and forth, communications, uh, exchange of information, and, and a lot of steps. What, and are the, what are some of the products? Um, I don't know that most people know that you mm-hmm. make cameras and so many other things. They think movies. You get right. a movie and they probably don't even know what IMAX does to get a movie onto the screen because really it's Steven Spielberg making the yeah. movie, not IMAX. So how, what are some of the products? Um, so, I mean, it really starts, and, and not every IMAX movie does this, but it, it starts with the capture. So that's the camera that we rent to the studios and the directors to film the movies. So they film the movies with the IMAX camera, which when you show that on an IMAX projector or an IMAX system, you're going to see a bigger image, a better image, because it's filmed with the, the absolute best cameras ever. Right. Um, but regardless of whether it's filmed with an IMAX camera or not, when a studio comes to us and says, we want to play your movie in, uh, or our movie in IMAX, they will send us the, the pre-cut of the movie, and then we do something called digitally remaster it. So we take that um, movie that has been filmed either in IMAX or not, and we have a whole team of people that that takes that movie, looks at every frame, every scene, and enhances the They're like doing the things pixel by pixel, right? Oh, yeah, pixel by pixel. They, they, you know, movies are still a lot filmed on with film, with real film, right? So there's dust. You're film in those dirt. big canisters? Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah, it's still filmed like that. Huh. Uh, and so not they go in movie, and, like, digitally little, remove dust and, like, dust, repixelate it. hairs, and... Because they show we show the movie back in a digital format, mm-hmm. but it's it's originally captured with with real film still. So all of those little artifacts are removed. The color is enhanced. The the image is is sharpened. So when it plays on the IMAX projector, it looks amazing. Wow. Mm-hmm. That so so um, products would include then not just the cameras, but the 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 reformatted. Movies yeah, themselves. The service that we provide to re remaster and reformat the movie, and then the the experience of, of actually seeing the yeah. movie on the, the IMAX projector. projector. We yeah. also make movies, right? The we call them right. whales and bears movies. Whales and bears. <laughs> <laughs> the documentaries, <laughs> the ones that you used to see at the Cinesphere yeah. uh, for our mm-hmm. yeah for our Toronto yeah. um, fans. Um, if and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, the Cinesphere was the very first. Lillian. Lillian. Sorry. Um, the Cinesphere was the very first IMAX screen and projector. Uh, maybe the second. I think the first was the Expo in Montreal. Cinesphere uh, was the second. And it's just been reopened. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. So you can see uh, it's probably playing pandas. Right bears now. and bears bears and, whales. and whales, and those pandas are really cute, <laughs> super cute. Oh, I would like to actually go see one of those. It's been a long time since I've done that. Um, but then you have other products like customer service, right? Where you uh, are taking calls from different theaters that are showing IMAX mm-hmm. movies or using IMAX products, and then you maintain all of those yeah. so projectors. Our, our IMAX um, projection system. We uh, require our customers to buy a contract to maintain the quality of that system through the life of the product. So when they buy a system and they set up an IMAX box, they, um, they have a contract with us for 10 years at least where we will go in and, and uh, maintain that projector two times a year. We'll tune it. We'll make sure that it's playing perfectly, that the audio sound is playing, you know, the, the audio is playing perfectly so that when any customer goes into an IMAX theater, it's going to be running beautifully, hmm. um, which is different than most of our competitors. And I don't think most people would realize that there's so much involved in IMAX mm-hmm. and what they're doing and what they're offering. So, so think about that and all that stuff that Susan just said when we're just talking about process improvement in general. So Nicole... When we've been doing process, we've been focused on process improvement so much through the life of whiteboard. And even before that, we did process improvement. We're trained in process improvement. Our background is in it. And yet some people still have trouble understanding what a process is or why that's important. So what would you say, first of all, describe process improvement in layperson's terms. Can I, can I describe it by telling a story? Yes, please. So I had to go to the hospital the other day to take Lillian in yeah. um, because she was breached. So they want to just double check that her hips are all in line. Uh-huh. So um, the, the, my family doctor goes and books the appointment for me at the hospital. And then the hospital just phones me and says, this is your appointment, which is an interesting process to begin with because that means that if I can't make that day, we have to start the whole process over again. Like there is no, hey, only book me on Mondays or it's just, anyhow. So that's, you know, that's already a process improvement issue. It, you know, something happening where you have to rework or change it all the time just seems like a lot of extra work that could be avoided, but their process is so ingrained that they book it and that's how they do it. There's no way to get around well, it. And I imagine that people are changing processes constantly, uh, sorry, not processes, dates and appointments constantly, constantly because of different issues. Right? Yeah. Um, so then I get there. Um, there's a lineup to register for the x-ray that I've already got a fully booked appointment for. And I recognize they've got to validate the health card and whatever. So I sit down and there is 10 w- minutes of someone typing on a computer. A full 10 minutes, because I looked at my phone, because I was just sitting there scrolling Facebook, waiting for this person to input 10 minutes of information. I don't know what 10 minutes of information it was. All I handed her was the baby's health card. It doesn't even have a photo on it. It just has a number. So I don't know. They didn't validate or check any of the information with me. So then I go back around, wait for the x-ray. I go in, and the lady says, oh, Lillian North, is this the right person before we start doing the work. And I said, oh, her name is spelt wrong. Lillian has two L's. Oh, wow. And she went, oh, okay, get the baby dressed again because it's going to take a long time for me to fix, oh, no. fix that. And she had to go all the way back to the front and fix it and came back. And she apologized profusely. And I said, well, it's not your fault at all. You're the, you're the, you're the ultrasound technician what was happening at the front desk? And I said to her, I said, I'm a process improvement consultant. She said, we need you so badly. 
And I laughed and I said, no, you don't. I said, do you want a free process improvement no, right didn't. away? I did. <laughs> and I said, all you have to do is have the receptionists validate the information, like turn the screen and say, is this right before we put you through? Yep. And that would eliminate what we just spent 20 minutes doing. And she went, she looked at me and she like, like I had said something magical. Like I had just cast a spell on the hospital. She just went, oh, and I, it, it's funny because I was like, that's process improvement. There you go. That to me, that is process improvement. The most simple mundane check and balance or change to a process that would improve the customer's experience. There you go. Perfect definition. I'm a genius. Get that tattooed. Um, <laughs> it's, it's so true because sometimes people know about process improvement and sometimes they don't. They've literally never heard the term. And so We'll use stories like what Nicole just told or even how, you know, I wait in line at Starbucks and I just want to jump over the counter and help them because there's things that they could do that I think are more efficient. Um, and then there's big things. So the big, the big background history of process improvement is that it started in the 80s. Actually, it started in the 40s after World War II um, when um, there was a statistician, Deming, and others were brought in to help rejuvenate economy and rebuild even the Japanese economy. And things started percolating then. Uh, fast forward ahead to the 80s, and we've got Six Sigma, um, which is a process improvement methodology that was started in Motorola, was taken up by General Electric, and a lot of manufacturing um, industries used it to improve the quality of cars. Uh, to improve the quality of cell phones as they were uh, becoming more popular. Then the Japanese production system came in more and it added what they called lean, which is a way of reducing um, um, waste, getting rid of waste. And then they started combining lean and Six Sigma. So now you hear a lot about lean Six Sigma. And so people are afraid of process improvement if they know those things because they think it's great big, huge initiatives. We have to spend a ton of money and we have to train people, and we have to get everybody understanding this great big program and figure out how to do it. So when Nicole and I started doing a lot of this process improvement work, we realized that it doesn't have to be that way. So I, and they were at the, when I was at Service Ontario, they started, at one point, they were thinking about bringing in Six Sigma and rolling it out. And uh, I remember my boss was talking to me about it, and I said, don't do it, don't do it, don't you do it. And he looks at me, and he goes, what, you're a blasphemer, because Six Sigma people love to do Six Sigma all the time. And I said, I don't think we're ready. Our culture's not ready to do process improvement. Um, there's a lot of little things, like Nicole described, the little things that can be done every day to start getting people thinking about process improvement. So that's one of the reasons we started Whiteboard Consulting was to help people learn the little things and start what I called till the soil for culture shift and culture improvement. And so we developed the Whiteboard Way, which is our own process improvement methodology. And even then, there's more simple ways than that to do it. So this whole series, we'll be talking about what process is, uh, what business processes are, because sometimes people don't get that, and what people can do about it. So Susan, keeping all that in mind and looking at some of those super simple things like Nicole was talking about or the great big initiatives like mm -hmm. how do you remove the number of defects or artifacts in uh, of a film on the screen, can you share some of the 
process improvement efforts that you've been involved in for, since you joined, what, five, six years ago? Mm-hmm, sure. Um, yeah, maybe I'll start with, with a bigger one. Um, we, or I helped roll out a process to improve how we estimate our projects. So estimate projects, what do you mm-hmm. mean? So when, when we're doing a, taking on a new product development, we need to figure out, well, how much is that going to cost? So we can put a business case behind it, get approval on it. And, you know, we were, we were not very good at that, right? We, we generally were struggling, underestimating the work. Then we had to go back to our, our executive team to say, oh, we need more money. It's going to take us more. And they would lose confidence in us. And, and we really had to look at, well, what is the process that we use to estimate when we say it's going to take this much engineering and it's going to take this much work from our manufacturing people to bring this product to market? Is it a wild-ass guess or is there actually... <laughs> well, there's some <laughs> of that. Behind it. There is some of that. But what we really had to look at was, well, there are a lot of people involved in this process. There's a lot of engagement that... Um, needs to happen and there was a lot of steps that we weren't always doing and so to to take on such a big uh, process change we really had to take a step back and say who is all involved in this who should be involved in this and what do we do today and what's not working with that Mm -hmm. and what could we do in the future and kind of dream about how could it be in the future and how could it work in other, and how does it work in other places? Why doesn't it work here? And what can we do differently? And that was not easy. No. no. So it's not easy. It sounds easy. It sounds easy. What's hard about it? Um, people are afraid of change. Yeah. So, um, and, and, you know, I've always wondered, like, why are people so afraid of change? Like, what, mm-hmm. what makes them afraid? And in this case, um, people were afraid that the new way of doing things weren't, wasn't going to work or might impact somebody else down the chain that we hadn't thought of. Because hmm. nobody had ever really kind of mapped the current way we do things. It w- we were just doing it kind of organically, probably every time it was being done a little bit differently, depending on who was leading, um, how we would estimate the project. So, but there, were, there, there are interactions that happen in, in the process that not everybody really knew about. So when you change a process, that could have a ripple effect down the road. And yeah. what I found at IMAX is since we don't really know what those effects are, people are afraid to change it because they're afraid something else is going to break. So we really have to spend the time to understand what's happening today, who uses all of our input, like who uses all of the outputs of this process, who are our stakeholders. What's the big the big picture, the mm-hmm. 50,000 foot view yeah. to use old buzzword terminology. There's a phrase that a friend taught to Nicole and me years ago called sub-optimization fallacy. Have you heard of that one? No. It's such a nerdy thing and I, I love using it. I think I wrote a, a blog about it not too long ago and it means that, um, the, that when you optimize a sub-process or a, a piece of a, a bigger picture, it does not mean that the entire system is optimized. Absolutely. So if everybody yeah. involved optimized only what they did in blindly with disregard to everyone else, the, the entire large process would be a mess. Yeah, it could be worse. It could be worse. <laughs> yeah, because that whole all idea, those interactions. And a lot of people will um, try to optimize what they do because they love, they just want to be good. They want to be better. They want to mm-hmm. contribute. And so they think that by making what they do yeah. more efficient 
without understanding upstream and downstream and who else is impacted, that they're helping. They do it honestly. And they have no idea that they've just made things worse right. four steps down the process. Yep. So that is a fear for people. Mm-hmm. So how did you get past that fear for people? Um, well, first of all, it was started with really good stakeholder engagement. Uh-huh. So really pulled the stakeholders together and explained... I, you know, I would call it like the burning platform. Like, uh-huh. why do we need to change this? And what's the real problem here? And really got those st- the stakeholders in the room all bought in to say, yeah, you know what? We all want to see it done differently. And, and really that first step, um, and, and with any process improvement that I've done at IMAX, if we don't do that first step and get the stakeholders bought in, uh, I find it's never a success. So once they're bought in and they know they want the change, then they're willing to put... Um, some resources and some effort to understand what the current state is and why it's broken. Yeah. And when they put that effort in and we can really, ma- and, you know, we started mapping it out. What, how do we do things? Wh- who takes that information? Where does it go? What does finance do with the information? What is engineering? Cause everybody took that information and did something with it. Something different. Yeah. Something different <laughs> with it. So, and, and some, yeah. in some places, something we didn't even know they were going to do with that information. So, once we, we mapped all of that out, here's where all the information goes. Here's what I need to make my other process work. And why I need it. Yeah. yeah. And so, so once we mapped all that out, then we could talk about how we could change it. And, hey, what if you got the information like this instead of that? Would you still be able to run with your other process? Well, no, maybe not. I would need this and this. Okay, yeah. well, we can figure that out. Yeah. So that was kind of getting to the future state with them. Yeah, that engagement piece, it sounds so cliched to say it, mm-hmm. but I yeah. think it's because it's so true. Yeah. And uh, we we like to use the phrase um, burning platform, although we've started switching it up now to the hot problem, cool solution, um, <laughs> because we actually heard that there's some organizations who don't like that term. It's, oh, uh, really? it's violent. It's a well, it's yeah. very aggressive sounding mm-hmm. term. So, But the idea behind it is that people are more likely to make a change to avoid pain than they are to achieve a benefit. And we know this scientifically. Um, There's research that shows that the two things that are most likely to get somebody to trigger a lifestyle change to be more healthy are a cancer diagnosis or a heart attack. Even though you Mm. could tell those people 10 years ago that making the change will achieve a benefit, it's that avoidance of more pain that will help them. So it's a kind of a... I know it's an uncomfortable thing to say to people. Mm-hmm. We need to avoid pain. So when you can get all these stakeholders, and by stakeholders we just mean anyone who's involved yeah. and impacted, to say, what's going to happen if we don't fix this? Right. And when they can say that, then they can say, okay, I need to avoid this pain. So mm-hmm. customers are going to revolt. Theaters are not going to buy our new thing. We're not the, st- the shareholders are going yeah. to, you know... We're not going to get a product to market. Yeah. Hollywood's not going to come <laughs> knocking anymore. Yeah. Um, because it didn't, Amex didn't used to be the Hollywood. No. Uh, it used to be just Bears and Wells, yep. right? Yep. Yeah. So they have high demands too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So getting those stakeholders on board. And then I liked what you said about mapping it and looking at the whole thing. How do you, yeah. with, with estimating a project, you've got so many different people who are involved in this. How do you get them all to map how it looks. Mm-hmm. Like, do you do formal big mapping sessions? Do you cha- just kind of envision right. what's going on? So actually I'm doing one tomorrow oh, for cool. a different process, but um, the way that I was approaching it this time, uh, really to help save people's time, 
is I've done a, I, I like using a SIPOC, a, a process map that identifies who's involved, what they're inputting into the process, what the process step is, what they're outputting, and who gets it. Yeah. Um, and so prior, we're actually having a workshop tomorrow to look at our future state and, and then do a, a, or sorry, look at our current state and then do a future state mapping. But for, prior to the workshop, I actually sat down with all of the stakeholders and mapped out a current state process with oh, them. Oh, with them. Okay. Yeah, I did it individually and I did it in advance of the meeting because I find that that does take a lot of time and mm. this process that we're working on is a very complicated one. Mm. And when I got the stakeholders in the room, the few times I did, people got confused and started fighting. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'm going to actually not get you all in the room initially. And so I worked with all of them individually and, and developed a current state process and I've shared it with them all. And now everybody kind of buys in like, yeah, that's kind of how we do things today. It's easier sometimes, isn't it? To yeah. give people a straw model to pick apart than to start yes. with a blank page. Starting with a blank page kind of went nowhere. Yeah. In this case, it doesn't, sometimes it does, but in this case it didn't. Remember and when we were working with that one client, 45 oh, minutes? Just to get to the very first step. Like oh. they could not determine. Was that IMAX? No, it wasn't IMAX. <laughs> they went to the entry point to the very first process. It was unbelievable. I was yeah. like, it doesn't yeah. like doesn't matter. Like any point can be the start of a process. Right. Let's not argue about it. We were starting with it. That was in our learning days, and we yeah. were starting with a blank piece of paper with a very complex organization. Forty-five minutes to agree on the first step wow. in the process. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I agree. It could be anything. And, yeah. and there's sometimes there's a lot of first, a lot of inputs, right? That yeah. the way the process can get started. Yeah. So tomorrow, what, I, what I've done is that process map, I have plotted it out on huge paper. And I've plotted like three or four of them, and they're going to be up on the wall. And we're going to spend the first part of the meeting just looking at the current state. And because actually, in this case, the current state is sometimes different, right? One one time we do it one way, another yes. time we do it another way. It's an it depends. Yeah, and yeah. that and, and sometimes it just depends on the person. It depends on who's available. Oh, this guy's on vacation. Well, we're going to do it differently this time. Or it depends uh, you know, on it, the type of the project. Like yeah. it's it's so ever so slightly different. Right. Therefore, we're going to adjust the project ever so slightly because of it. Exactly. And that's how we started getting into a lot of conflict when we started talking about it because mm -hmm. everybody sees that process differently. So I had to kind of take it to a higher level and say, well, basically, these are the steps we do. These are the basic ones. There is a lot of little details in there. We'll put those on the side. I just made little notes of all these little details. Yeah. Um, so tomorrow, when we go to do this workshop, we're going to focus first on the current state and then spend a lot of time talking about what, what, could, be. what could be. Well, that's the key to that idea of we do it differently every time, that... In, in Lean and Six Sigma, they would say that variation is a problem. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's what's, variation is evil, is like we, we used to teach. And that's what is causing customers to experience an inconsistent process, which is part right. of their frustration. Yep. So why can you do this for me sometimes, but not other times? Mm -hmm. Well, it's because we do it differently depending on who's there that day or, yep. you know, whether it's a Tuesday or, you know. Or what inputs we got. What inputs so, you got from someone else, whether yeah. it was complete, whether it was understandable, whether it was, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that, that whole idea of, re, of understanding and changing the process just to remove the variation. Yeah. What else do you see when you look at a current state map that indicates there's a problem? <laughs> well, when it looks like spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have some processes like that where they loop around a lot. And there's a, you know, a lot of the, 
if this happens, then, then we do it like this. And sometimes this happens. So then you get a lot of these like decision boxes that are kind of looping in circles. And, so, and sometimes they just, they loop forever. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, like you actually it never get out of the process. Anywhere. Yeah. yeah. There, you know, and so if we were to think about that's a major um, technology-based process and some people may listen and go, that's not relevant to me. Well, let's go back to the receptionist where you took Lillian for her x-ray. Yeah. Imagine mapping that and looking at that process. So what is the first thing you do? Well, I greet and then I ask for the baby's health ID and I punch in this information and da-da-da-da-da. Well, do you validate the information? Well, Judy does, but I don't because that takes too much time and it's right most of the time anyway. So I send them right on through. And therein lies the problem. Yeah. And they may say, well, it doesn't really matter. Well, actually it does because now it's going to take 20 extra minutes. The patient had to get dressed again and our schedule is off and all this equipment that they have is really strictly was, booked. Yeah, and it was sitting vacant. The ultrasound machine was sitting Which is vacant and not used for 10 minutes. Absolutely a no-no in healthcare. While she added an L. I mean, and I also yeah. said to her... Can we do it later? It, I actually said, does it actually matter yeah. if her name is spelt wrong? Really? It's... Yeah. yeah. So, and she went, yes, yes, it does. And I'm <laughs> well, like, they're very where is that uh, information going. Well, we're who's using it? Where yeah, else does, does it know? have to align yeah. up later? Will there be a problem? Maybe we don't know be. the outputs and the customers yeah. and the process. So, and I don't even think the tech knew. She just yeah. knew that it couldn't be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But imagine that if people, if everybody thought that processes had to be big manufacturing oriented, we're making cameras for the mm-hmm. world. No, they don't. Yeah. They need to be any kind of a process, a series of steps that has an impact at the end of the day on the customer. And sometimes the customer is internal. It's yeah. the organization. It's the bank account. Right. Right? Yeah. So process maps, you know, stakeholder engagement first, understanding the current state second, and then starting to dream about the art of the possible. Ooh, well, what could we do? Yeah. Well, we could, you know, just quickly scan Lillian's card and then send them right through and then have a verification on the way out. You know, like... Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of things. And, and what could you do in project estimation? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's really simple. Like, you can make a simple little change and, and uh, change the process or part of the process right away. But then sometimes it's more complex than that. To get from your current state to your future state might actually require a project itself to get there. To make that implementation. Yeah. I do remember one of your VPs who was a super duper keener on the future state did not yeah. was not interested in doing all the work um, understanding the current state and always wanted to jump to solutions so that's hard too isn't mm-hmm. it to rein people in yeah and help them know we've got to do a little bit of work first right yep yeah we have to we have to get through the details of the yeah. current state and you know maybe um, in your current process, you, you're, you're flowing some documents, you know, through a, a system, like mm-hmm. a, an IT system. And your future, say, you say, well, we can flow them through this other system, but that system doesn't exist. Right. You might have to build it to, right. to get to the future state. Yeah. So sometimes your current to future state is going to take some time mm-hmm. um, because you have to implement some projects to, Something bigger. to make it happen. Yeah, and oftentimes um, that can throw people off too because they think, yeah. oh, it's just going to be a big solution and it's going to be IT and it's going to spend, we're going to have to spend some money. Sometimes there are little things you can do in between. In between. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So there's usually your, usually I come out of these sessions with our short term changes. Here's the, the five things that we can start doing tomorrow. Mm-hmm. 
and and these are our long-term changes. So sure. here's the, the initiatives that we need to take on. Sure, and back to Lillian's x-ray, it might be something like the long-term, they want it to be impossible to go to the next stage of the screen unless it's been system checked. So if somebody enters it and it doesn't match up with other data behind, it will produce mm -hmm. an error. That requires a lot of programming. The tomorrow, you can certainly turn the screen around and show the parent and ask yeah. them to verify. Exactly. Right? <laughs> I mean, they did verify it. That was the interesting part. They did have a verification step, but, but it was too later. late. Yeah. yeah. Well, you it know, was at the point at which it now became, you know, another ten minutes. Well, mm -hmm. and it's interesting because I believe in most healthcare, when you when you go for tests, they verify all the time. So I remember when my friend had knee surgery last year, she and I took her in. They verified at the front desk. They verified when she got to the place. They, the nurse came in and verified. The surgeon came in and had to sign her knee, which yep. knee it was, and have her verify it was the right knee. Like it was all the way along, verify, verify, verify. And that's smart process yes. improvement, yeah. right? Yeah. Especially yeah. when the risk of error each um, stage is very high. At each yeah. stage, it gets worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, what are um, what would you say are the major risks of not having a process improvement methodology, and the major benefits, which should be the opposite mm -hmm. of having? Do you mean a methodology? Methodology, like or even a focus or a culture that that. Um, supports and mm -hmm. indeed proactively seeks out process improvement? Um, Risks or benefits? Yeah, I think one risk is disengagement of employees. Ah. So usually when your processes are ineffective, they're usually frustrating for people. So people know they have to deliver something in the end, but you know either they're not getting what they need to deliver it or they're going in circles, they're doing rework. Nobody likes that. People yeah. get frustrated, and, th and that's that's a major frustration in their job. I think people want to do a good job, yeah. don't they? People want to do a good job. They don't go to work hoping that it's going to be crappy. They want it to be efficient, yeah. right? They don't want to have to go back and wait 20 minutes and have to recircle and redo work. So I think that's one major um, risk of, of not having a process improvement culture, um, not doing process improvement. I, I think also just getting to the next level, right? Getting to, you know, the, the next... Uh, Thing that you're trying to do, the next big thing that you're you're trying to do as an organization. If if you're stuck doing things in a way that's inefficient, maybe you're not going to get there. I love that, and that applies, I think, to any level of business, whether you're a global company yeah. like IMAX or a startup. If you haven't figured out how to make your processes efficient, mm -hmm. how can you hope to get to that next level? Right. It, when you want to change, when you want to do something different, something bigger, something better, uh, you know it should be easy to, to shift and change your gears. And if it's not easy, you're less likely to, to do it. Yeah. Do, do you work on that at a departmental level at all where you are? Or is it usually a larger um, organizational effort? Oh, I would say both. I mean, hmm. Even at an individual level oh. right, with employees, okay. right? with, my, with my team and, and my managers and my individual employees, I try to encourage them as well to even even if it's a small process that only involves them and the person sitting right next to them, 
improve it. Yeah. Go ahead. If, you know, if that just means like rearranging, you know, where you put your stool so you don't have to walk in a circle every day, that, that's fine too. You know, <laughs> we laugh, but that absolutely is a thing. There's oh, um, yeah. studies in Saskatoon, when the, in the healthcare system in Saskatoon, they spent a lot of time working on the ergonomics and the walking pattern of nurses in hospitals hmm. there because it was completely inefficient how they had to, you know, walk back and forth across floors and up and down between floors to get equipment that they needed. Right. So they, I don't remember what the results was, but it was quite amazing how much time they saved the average nurse so that they could provide more patient care. I mean, yeah, it's the I mean, basic theory of uh, method time motion studies, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if uh, I have to reach to grab this cup and bring it to my mouth, that only takes one second. But if the cup's over here, um, you know, it takes me three seconds further. to grab and do it. And, you know, that also causes injury and all kinds of other errors and, and yeah. issues. Well, and it's just like rearranging the furniture in your house. <laughs> like if you rearrange it in a way, you know, we, we've done it before where we didn't even realize that you know, the flow wasn't right. And then you, you kind of yeah. move that coffee table around and like you're getting to the kitchen faster. You feel so happy. Like, <laughs> like Back when I was at Ford, one of the things that they were, when minivans started to become really big. Mm. So again, yes, Nicole, I'm wow. dating myself. It was a long time ago. <laughs> when minivans, when, when minivans. the car first came out <laughs> off the line. Back in aught three, um, <laughs> they, with minivans, I remember them, We I would go to Detroit and I got to see some of the prototype cars. And they would, um, they had a way to measure what people touched first when they went into a car to look at it for the new time, the, the first time. And one of the things was, it's kind of sexist now that I think about it, but for women, where do they put their purse? And they wanted somewhere to put their purse. And I think men might want to put something somewhere too, whether they're the ones Sunglasses, carrying Sunglasses, their the, wallet. The, exactly. Or carrying the baby bag, right? It doesn't have to be the <laughs> there mom. There you go, yeah. So um, they, on the on the Windstar at the time, they developed a thing right by the driver where it would fit a purse or something like right. that. And it was all about efficiency and flow. You get into the car, you put this down, you turn it on, you check the mirrors, blah, blah, blah. And I think that, I hope that our people that are listening are thinking that, oh, yes, she works at IMAX and does great big huge projects, and this stuff also applies for her team mm -hmm. or at home. I've always used that example that I had a friend who said um, leaving the house was yeah. the hardest thing with her kids. And I said, what if you had a process or a checklist? Wouldn't that um, immediately make your process better? And if you had a checklist at the end of the house that says, do you have soothers, bottles, um, you know, yeah. Timmy's favorite construction toy, um, you know, whatever it might be. If you had that at the door, you wouldn't be going all the way out to the car and then realizing something was missing, right? Process improvement is everywhere. Oh, my, yeah. my uh, really good friend in Virginia has done this for her two girls, uh, one of whom has just started school. The other one is like in three or four, something like that, um, in grade three or four. And she, they have laminated checklists that they do at each section of the morning because mm. it became every day, it was a now what do I do, now what do I do, and it was just starting to teach them about process and efficiency. And if you do these things, then you'll have time to have a little screen time before school yeah. or whatever it was. So it can work for everywhere. Mm -hmm. yep. So, okay, so let's wrap this up then. And if you could give people one or two pieces of key advice on whether it's a small process improvement project for a, you know, a startup or 
a great big one and they're part of a big team, what would you tell them? Um, I think, I, you know, I would really start with try to understand why you want to change the process. So what is the benefit that you're going to get or, you know, what pain are you going to, to resolve? Um, if, if you really understand that and what the benefit is, it's going to be easier for you to sell it to your stakeholders. Right. Um, and, and what's the benefit for the stakeholders? What's in mm -hmm. it for them? Mm -hmm. So if you want their support in changing the process and having the, you know, their people do things differently, uh, usually when the process gets better, it benefits everybody. So make sure everybody understands how it's going to benefit them, why we're all going to be happier with this new process yeah. uh, or change in the process. Uh, I think that would be the, the number one. Understand why you're doing it. Why are you doing it? Not just and communicate Not that. just because it, it looks cool yeah. and you had the time to look at and, it. And not just because it's good for you. Yeah. Because the, the new, a new way of doing things might be good for you, but if it's not good for everybody else around you, that, that's also not going to work. And if it it's not worth everybody. their time and effort, because yeah. yes, it's just fine right now. Yeah. It's fine. And I don't have time to invest in that. Well, mm -hmm. it may be fine right now. If it doesn't, doesn't get resolved, it's not going to be fine right. by next month. And yep. then this is going to break and this is going to happen. Well, Artifacts people, all over the IE bypass. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, totally is that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, people always say, I don't have time to fix it. Do you, can you afford to not fix it, right? The yeah. time that is spent by all those errors, the time that builds up over time that you are wasting time. Yes, you have no time because your process is yeah. inefficient. Loss of customers, yeah. um, longer wait times in healthcare. I mean, we, mm -hmm. healthcare, more and more we hear about process issues there all the time. And, you know, can you afford not to fix it? Yeah, call us St. Joseph's Hospital. Yes. I already gave one free tip, free of charge. And that's it, no more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, well, and that's what we're going to talk about a lot in this series. What are the things, sometimes, you know, if people are doing bigger projects, what are some more um, ideas and tips and tricks for them? Most of the time it applies no matter how big your project is. It's just that you may have different project, uh, different customers or different stakeholders. Um, yeah. So... Nicole, have we missed anything that we wanted to talk about? Or do you have any super fantastic wow questions for our guest? Oh, this what a way morning? to put me on the spot. I know. Or would you like to ask Lillian anything? <laughs> Lillian, almost asleep or yeah. partially asleep. Um, yeah. No, um, well, I'll put you on the spot <laughs> by doing that. What's your favorite um, process improvement methodology? Hmm. Oh. I don't, that's a good question. And I'm, I mean, not even like, not like lean or Six Sigma, but like mm. um, for me, for example, process mapping is my favorite right. tool for what makes me happy and brings me joy and yeah. not actually putting it in detail. And mine's finding the numbers, the mm, data, the doing data the analysis. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I would say mine is definitely the process mapping. Like I, I actually, so I'm excited. I'm doing this workshop yeah. tomorrow. Like that's for me, that's a lot of fun when you get the people in the room there, you get a lot of excitement, right? In that, in that where, where people start to see, well, maybe we can do things. Ah, yeah. Like when you like, see the aha, yeah. that's so exciting. For so, me. you know, I, re I really like running those sessions and, and bringing, you know, typically we try to you know, sequester ourselves either, you know, we're going to spend half a day, we're going to focus on this and, 
and really, you know, if it's a big process improvement. And, and I, you know, I really enjoy that part of it. And yeah. Mapping the process, mapping the future state with people. I also really love error proofing is probably like the mm-hmm. first thing that jumps to my mind. And that was exactly the thing that happened mm-hmm. in my hospital example is like, yeah. what Making are ways to so prevent people can't errors, make a mistake, right? right? Easy ways to not make a mistake. Yeah. I always think um, Starbucks had a really clever one and yet it's not in all the Starbucks. And I remember the first time, I think it was at Young and Bloor in Toronto, uh, a Starbucks that was testing where I'd put my order in and they'd put it in the a system and it would spit out a sticker at the barista who would slap it on a cup, which reduced the um, possibility of an error with all the mm. scribble on the cup. Right. But the recept- the person at the till could still make a mistake, you yeah. know, yeah. listening to me. Well, a perfect example of error proofing at Starbucks that they've taken away, and I don't know why, I think it's maybe a barrier to entry or a barrier for new customers is if you remember back in the day you used to order you'd say can I get a um, a, a medium latte with uh, skim milk and uh, vanilla syrup and they'd say sure no problem and they'd yell out to the barista uh, tall non-fat vanilla latte and the barista would call back tall non-fat vanilla latte and to me, that was a three-way error proofing. Yeah, mm. because you could hear it. I could hear this person take my order, translate it into Starbucks language, do it, yeah. then call up to the barista who heard it, understood it, and called it back. There, it was very clear that I would get the right drink at the end, that I wouldn't say, no, 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 it was supposed to be hazelnut. And they've taken that out. That's true. And I feel like... The- Maybe because they didn't want to be like Licks. Remember it? with the chicken oh, the licking and yeah. the flicking chicken it. with the woo. I, I think oh, it, and that's awful. why I said I think it was a bit of a barrier to entry is that um, new customers would be like, I want a medium double double. And I don't know what kind of accent it is, right? And then, you know, Starbucks would be like, Well, do you want a grande, sir? And they're like, I just want a medium. I just want a medium coffee. <laughs> just want a medium double double. Well, you put the cream in yourself. Okay, then I'll have a medium coffee. So a grande, sir? Grande bold or mild? And then, nope. you know, you just have a customer storm out I because they're, they they can't catch the lingo. Or burst into tears. <laughs> or go oh, to Tim great. Hortons. Yeah. yeah. Go exactly. to Tim Hortons where they will understand. Um, thank you, Susan, for being here with us today. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, it's and fun to come downtown. Yes, all the <laughs> way out into the city. Well, thank and you for you letting me use my brain. Yes, for letting you. Well, thank you as well for giving us a day. And um, <laughs> thanks to our listeners for being patient with the little baby squeaks that you may have heard in the background <laughs> from time to time. And yes, Barkley, Nicole's dog, you were also a very good boy. And uh, if you want to get more tips and tricks, uh, go to, well, either listen to the rest of our series, our first three series, which are amazing, or um, go to us at whiteboardconsulting.ca or go to medium.com, which is a really cool new publication and search for at the whiteboard and you can see a lot of our articles there. So next time uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about um, process improvement and we'll have uh, different guests Next time it will be, let me just check, everything is a process. So we sort of introduced that topic today, and we're going to talk a little bit more about health care next time and how you can look for process um, all around you as well. So thanks again, everybody. And until next time, bye. bye.